one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay turn your bible please the book of luke chapter 2 this is not in a time for people to waste their time going to the house of god without getting something and I hope somehow we could load your spiritual wagon and cause you to have something to share with the people during the day and help you to overcome in your life uh, each day. We're living in a time of undisciplined living. I think everybody knows that. And a part of the ministry of every preacher of God is to discipline the people. Jesus said, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Over in the book of... Um, Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, I'm going to find the little word that we're going to preach on tonight. Luke 2 and verse 49. You'll recognize this in the beginning of Luke's gospel, uh, which has to do, of course, with Jesus, his birth, his life, and especially the beginning of his ministry. And in the 49th verse, this is the experience when Jesus was left behind and uh, the mother and dad, uh, that is the foster father and the real mother, earthly mother of Jesus, uh, had uh, looked like made a journey. And they'd left him behind. And uh, verse 48 said, when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I want to speak tonight on the must of the master's ministry. I wonder if we've come to the place where we feel like real dedicated living is optional. Do we feel like in order to be a disciple today, it's still necessary just to follow Jesus where he leads? Do we believe it's possible to be like him today in a, in a crooked and perverse world? The average American between his second and 65th year, spends 3,000 entire days, almost nine years of his life, watching television. Number two, by the time a five-year-old child enters kindergarten, he spent more time learning about life from the family TV set than the average student in the liberal arts program spends in a classroom in his four years of college attendance. Folks, let me say this. 
If this continues, there's no hope for America. Amen. I mean, there's no way to there's no way to stop. I mean, this thing's already got them educated before they get uh, wearing long trousers. Now, the question tonight is this: Are we going to have any muss about our ministry? You preachers, listen to me a minute. Do you have any must on your program or your schedule? I mean, do you just, is there ever a must? Do you come to the place where you say, well, I just must do so and so? Now, that's the burden of my heart tonight in the ministry. Now, I know the word must is used a lot of times, but I want to show you that Jesus, the very Son of God who owned everything and made everything, and yet he lived under a constant ministry of must. Are we going to be a bunch of loose cowards and cast for milk posts and are we going to act like the rest of the world that has no discipline, no backbone? Are we going to enter the, the final stages of decay with a lost and wicked and rotten world just because we do not have the Bible discipline and conviction? And so tonight I want to give a real challenge uh, to God's people uh, here and share with you some of the must. Now, Jesus, at the age of 12, began a must ministry. His mother said, son, why have you dealt with us like this? We've been searching for you. We've been uh, wondering where you were. And uh, there he was discussing with the scribes and the lawyers and the doctors and the intelligentsia of his daily little 12-year-old boy, which would introduce uh, the subject, how old was Jesus when he realized he was the Messiah? Was there ever a time when he didn't realize he was the Messiah? Did Jesus realize he was the Messiah when he was born? Or did he wait till he was 12? Was this where he got the idea that he was the Messiah, the Son of God? I know one thing. He had a great sense of responsibility. And uh, I know this, that no matter what might have happened in his childhood days, he never sinned. He said, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. I've got business to look after. And I'm just doing what my father would have me to do. Well, you know, some people like to think about this uh, verse when he said uh, about thy father, and I've sought thee sorrowing. I want you to get that. Now, a lot of people like to capitalize on that and say, you see there, that's his father. But let's turn it around a little bit. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Joseph's not the father I'm concerned about doing business for I'm, I'm, I'm getting into my father's business, see. He knew his father was. Oh, yes. Now, folks, we'll never in this world get started into a must ministry until we recognize who our father is. You know, it was a shocking thing for me many years ago. Uh, I guess one of the boldest things that God ever gave me was when I realized that I was obligated to my heavenly father more than I was to my earthly father even though there were not many conflicts, because my earthly father realized, even though one day, I remember after a big, uh, a big rain, it washed uh, a lot of the oats uh, down the ditch, and they hung on the barbed wire fence. And that was on Saturday night. Sunday morning, my dad said, son, he said, we'll have to go dig those oats out and put them up on dry ground. And I said, today's the Lord's day. He said, doesn't make any difference. It is, said uh, Ox gets in the ditch. He, I don't know where he got that. He didn't know too much scripture, but he, he said, Ox in the ditch. I said, uh, we got plenty of oats, so have my dad. You know, that's the first time I ever crossed my daddy in my life. But he respected me. Even though I wanted to go help him, 
but I felt like it was not necessary. I believe there comes a time when every Christian, especially preacher, is going to have to stand on his own feet. I don't recommend disobedience to parents. I tell you, my mother and daddy, especially my daddy, demanded obedience, and he taught me some things that uh, I will be staying with me the rest of my life. Now then, turn with me, please, to chapter 4 and verse 43. 4, verse 43. He said unto them, I must preach. I must preach kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. I must work, I must preach. Is preaching optional with the preacher, or do you live to preach, breathe to preach? Is preaching absolutely the most important thing of your life? Had you rather preach than to eat, uh, than to do anything in all of the world? And to me, if we could just have a great spiritual revival, of excited preachers uh, that had tell the sweet story, I believe we'd get the church excited again. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people would like to make Jesus a teacher, and he was a great teacher, but I believe he's the greatest preacher that ever preached. Paul was a great preacher, but I believe Jesus was the greatest preacher uh, that ever preached. Of course, a lot of the people didn't appreciate his preaching, but it was always the truth. You know, the thing that makes a preacher a great preacher is just preaching of the two or three things. Number one, He's got to first know the truth and then preach it. Number two, he's got to have the right spirit. You think Jesus ever could have had a wrong spirit? Not at all. You think he ever preached a half-truth? Not at all. Jesus was the greatest preacher because he lived the greatest life, had the greatest spirit. He preached, I think, the simplest message that was ever preached. Nothing very profound about it. You know, I, I just get amazed at the complexities that the average person wants to add to the ministry. When Jesus said, just preach the word. I mean, just give them the word of God. We don't, we don't need to complicate the thing anymore. The simplicity of the gospel is the thing to get a sinner saved. All right? Let's go a little bit further. The Bible's full of us, but some we look at tonight. I want you to go to Luke chapter 19, verse 5. This is that rich man. Still in the ministry of Jesus now. This is a strange must. The 19th chapter. The Bible said there's a man named Zacchaeus. Said he was big chief among the publicans. He was rich. But he sought to see Jesus. But he couldn't see him because of the press. He was too small. Couldn't see over him. Ran before. Climbed up into a sycamore tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now I want you to see that. I must abide at thy house. That's a strange place for Jesus to go, wasn't it? I tell you one thing he didn't do. He didn't go there just to get his money. He went there to get the man. So the Bible said, I must needs abide at thy house. Now Jesus knew just as well when he went home with Zacchaeus, He's going to be criticized, misunderstood, and yet he went on home and said, I must needs abide at thy house today. I must needs abide. I've got a must on my mind, and I'm going home with you. Zacchaeus came down out of the tree, took him home with him, made a bargain with him, said, if I've cheated, he said, if I've uh, stolen, I want to pay it all back. I want to get everything fixed up. Jesus came back being criticized. He said, the well have no need of a physician, 
But he said the sick, I went home with the sick man. In fact, there's one home with the dying man. He got him all straightened out. I must needs abide at thy house today. Wouldn't it be fine, and I say this lovingly, if we'd go where we're needed the most, just go where we needed the most. I mean, work with the people that have the most desperate need. You watch us begin to win more people to Christ. Wouldn't it be a sight if everybody in this building would find the poorest person in this town and dress them up and bring them into the service before the meeting is over? Wouldn't it be a sight if we'd go get a little old family, you know? And I don't think there's anything that impresses me more than to feed and to help uh, people that are hungry. A little old child came in the study one day and there's no beat-up apple core over there on the window. And I tell you, when that child saw that old apple core, just as black, brown-looking, and that child beat it over there and ate the whole apple core. I mean, that, was, that little child did more to me than the mother before she begged. That little child demonstrated a case of hunger. I need help. Yonder in a little old school, talk about, and I mean in our day, how a little boy went to school and had a little bucket and the only thing he had in that bucket was a piece of just cold bread dipped in grease. And he'd reach in and eat that for his lunch as they made an investigation. Another little child had so much pride. All the other children would go to eat their lunches. This little child took him an empty bucket along and they wondered why he ate by himself every time. And they followed him that day when they was investigating some little children that were looked like... Uh, Guilty of malnutrition. This little fellow would go off in the corner by himself, open up his little empty bucket and reach his hand into an empty bucket and make out like he was eating. Never had a bite for days and days. You know, sometimes I feel like maybe there's people like that spiritually going to the churches and they got an empty bucket. And so they want to go through the feeding process and they reach in an empty bucket and I don't care whether it's Presbyterian or Baptist or what it is, but dear friends, be sure you got something in your bucket here. I mean, my father has plenty. The prodigal said, and despair, and here I perish in hunger. I must abide at thy house. Now then, turn to John chapter 3. We've come to the most meaning must in the master's ministry. Here it is. The rule of the Jews, Nicodemus by name, came one night. This is what he said. We know, verse 2, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And now then, the universal truth, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. How can a man ever go to heaven unless he experiences this must? Only one way in the world for a person to get saved. And you know, we've gotten completely away almost in our generation among religious leaders of you must be born again. I tell you what you can do. You can go to the average home for boys or girls. You can go to the average alcoholic home or whatever they want to call it 
and you'll find the AAs, and you'll find programs, and you'll find psychologists, and you'll find the psychiatrists, but you'll never hear anybody say, we've got to get these men born again. Until they're born again, they're still rotten, stinking, helpless sinners. Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus was a religious man, but he'd never evidently been born again, and Jesus said, you must be born again. I want you to turn with me to the third chapter. This is an extra must. But this is the must of maturity. The third chapter, 30th verse, 330. This is about a man by the name of John. The Bible said in the 23rd verse of that same chapter, he was baptized in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. be a good place to preach on baptism by immersion, wouldn't it? said there was much water there. And... Uh, Verse 29 said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now then, here's the secret of Christian growth right here. This is the must that I've got to have in my life and in your life or we'll never make it. The one thing, the one sin that's killing most of our people today and that's haunted me, cursed me, dwarf me is the sin of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. John said, I believe, gave us the idea that the Christian is like a bar of soap. The more he's used, the smaller he gets. Any man, if he gets bigger with use, he's been inflated. The greatest danger that you and I face is self-righteousness. You know what will bring it about? Success, the blessings of God, the goodness of the Lord will bring us to the place of pride and pride will bring us to the place of destruction. The greatest enemy you face in this building right now, all of us face, is pride. A great voice, great talent, a brilliant mind, all of its dangerous achievement, ability, educate, all of its dangerous unless we let him increase and we decrease. John chapter 4, verse 4. John 4, verse 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. He must. Jesus got up in the morning and said, Fellas, I must go through Samaria. He knew he'd never be welcome in Samaria. He knew the Samaritans didn't want to have anything to do with the Jews. and Jesus was a Jew, yet he said, I must need to go through Samaria. And dear friends, you know exactly what carried him through Samaria, don't you? Just one old dirty woman, that's all. I said, just one old dirty, ragged, rotten, rim-cut, ruined woman that come a-dragging up to the well curb with a bunion hands full of water buckets and pitchers, and Jesus said, I'd notice you need the mainspring. She didn't have much bounce about her. Amen. She'd lost her spring. But listen, our churches are full of people who lost the spring, too. Yes, that's right. You couldn't get them to spring out to visit for nothing. Everybody meet us for visitation now, and you have about seven or eight or ten or fifteen. What's the matter with the spring? And Jesus said, give me a drink. And... Um, then he said, you know, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asked him, you'd ask him, he'd give you living water, you'd never thirst again. Jesus, the woman said to Jesus, said, you know, it's well deep. 
and say, you anything to draw with. And uh, Jesus began to talk with her and began to uncover sin. And you know what happened, don't you? After she said, I know that the Messiah's coming. When he's coming, he's telling me all the things that ever I've done. Jesus already done that. And uh, she dropped the water pitchers. And Jesus talked with her long enough to let her discover the spring of eternal life. And when she did, what happened? She began to spring. That's right. Now, folks, there's a fundamental lesson in this, and we might as well face it. We're never going to get our people to spring out until something first springs up. Amen. Now, we can push them and pull them and prize them and beg them and plead them and fuss at them and condemn them, and we can build fires under them, but until we can get this water of life to spring in up, we're not going to get them to spring out. And we'll never in this world get an old mule to pull a plow until we feed him. He'll never make a good day's work until we feed him. And I believe the greatest need that we face today is to feed our people the word of God. Of course, that's the reason I, I, I'm so against a lot of the stuff that's going on today. I mean, I'll never change my mind as long as its record is black and hideous and horrible as it is. Our people are not filling their minds with the right kind of thing today. Therefore, they're weak. Their resistance is down. There's only one thing they can do, and that's live in sin. No other way. No deliverance. And so Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he did. And you know what happened, don't you? That woman went into town, came back. She had convert, converts already. Now, that's, that's a tremendous lesson. That woman had never evidently heard too much of the real gospel because at least she wasn't saved. And she lived in such filth until she couldn't have been uh, exposed to the gospel very much. She'd been married five times. The man she's living with was not her husband. And yet Jesus Christ, in a matter of moments at the well curb, so instructed her about the water of life until she went into the city. And in, before the sun could go down, the sun had already come up in the lives of people that she witnessed to. Why? I must needs go through Samaria. Yeah, but you'd say, Brother Roth, he was the son of God. He was God himself. Right, but, dear friends, the will of God in his life ought not to be any more precious or perfect than in our life if we're doing what God tells us to do. You'd say, but I'm not perfect. No, I realize that. But God has a perfect will for our life and a perfect book for us to go by. And I tell you, many times we're trying to cover up uh, our failures with our imperfections and so forth, and God would reveal to us his perfect and precious will even as we walk this uneven journey of life. I must needs go through Samaria. Now then, would you turn to the book of John chapter 9? Here's one of the musts. This is another great and interesting. I guess this chapter has meant about as much to me the last 20 years of my life as any chapter in the New Testament. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. 
Can you imagine Jesus being the very son of man, the man who made the moon, the stars, and he said, I'm going to have to work because the night's going to come and the very night will overtake me. I mean, Calvary will be here. Golgotha's hill looms just ahead. And what I do must do now. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Do you feel that way about it tonight? I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, God has some works for me to work. He's already got it all mapped out. Call me to his ministry. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Because the night's coming when no man can work. One of these days, my working days will be over. And I'll stand before him to whom I must give an account. Do you realize the urgency that's upon your life today? If you were to go in to meet God now, what would you have to show? You'd be surprised to know how many people you could witness to if you just walk up to them and say, would you tell me how long you've been saved? I mean, do you know Jesus is your Savior? You don't have to make a fool out of yourself or the man either, but just simply whisper to him. Uh, I'd like to ask you the biggest question, but if you were to fall dead right there where you are, where would you be one hour from now? Oh, listen, dear friends. I know where I'd be. I know, I know where I don't deserve to be, but I'm going to be there in hell, and that's in heaven. Folks, there's a lot of things I may miss down here, but there's one thing I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to miss heaven. Amen. Now, you can have all the ball games and all the stuff, and, and, but listen, there's one place, and you can have all the trips to the Holy Land, you can have all the things like that, but far as I, there's one trip I'm not going to miss, and that's my trip to heaven. And to me, that just about settles everything. I mean, of course, I'm enjoying the ministries. God is wonderfully... Uh, given us many opportunities, but he said, I must work the works. Now, here's a blind man. They want to talk about theology. They said, well, who'd sin? This man is parents. He said, uh, neither. Now, dear friends, he didn't say, and I wish we had a little more time, he didn't say that the blindness didn't come as a result of sin. I mean, I think all of us would agree, even if I have some blind friends, and I do in the radio audience, and, and I think everybody would admit that blindness originally had to stem from sin. Because God didn't make Adam blind, and he didn't make Eve blind, and God doesn't uh, glory in making little children blind. All of our imperfections and all of our bodily ailments, they have to come somewhere from sin. You know that. But Jesus said, this is just not the time to be discussing theology when we could get the man's eyes open. He's been blind long enough now. While you fellas sit on the fence and discuss your theology, me and this fella are going to have a little trip to the pool of Siloam. Now that's the practical side of Jesus. I must work. He didn't say I must argue. I think a lot of people miss a lot of blessings. I'd rather have an experience than an argument. I think Jesus could have said to them, bless your little sweethearts, while y'all have an argument, this man's fixing to have an experience. And he told him, he, he, he put some clay on him and said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Oh, the night's soon coming.
course, now you know it caused a tremendous upheaval. And as I've said many times before, I say once again, uh, when you raise the dead, you also raise the devil. And when you open blind eyes, you can open up a way for the devil to come in and tell a lot of things. And first of all, his parents were embarrassed. His rabbi was embarrassed. His little uh, synagogue was all embarrassed. His friends uh, were surprised, to say the least. And this man wound up completely outside the gate because he had an experience with Jesus. There's nothing that'll put you outside the gate like a genuine experience with the Lord. Don't worry about the, uh, giving up the world. They'll run from you. But I tell you what, he still had his eyes. None of them can take his experience away from him. And I think he made a decision. I think he said to the rabbi, rabbi said, do you realize, son, you're going to lose your membership? He said, it'll be all right as long as I don't lose my eyes. I imagine the rabbi sat him down and said, do you realize that your mother and father are some of the most faithful parishioners I have and your grandmother and grandfather were all here? And son, don't you realize uh, that you're causing them the embarrassment that you're running off after this fellow called Jesus? And the fellow said, wouldn't make a lot of difference as long as I can still see. I imagine mother and daddy called him in and sat down and said, now son, you realize that is a decision between us, the synagogue, and your testimony. What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to stay my testimony. He had an experience. He didn't have an argument. He had an experience. I must work the work. Jesus got the work done in his life. All right. Now then, I want you to go to the 10th chapter of the book of John. This will kind of broaden us out a little bit here. The 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 16. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Them also I must bring. You know, we're living in a time of bigotry, denominational misunderstanding and hatred. And dear friends, you might as well put it down. If we have the right kind of spirit of Jesus Christ, somebody's going to come along and want to fellowship with us and going to need our kindness, and God will open the door. Jesus said, i got some more sheep. They're not of this fold, but I'm going to bring them when I come. You folks might as well get ready because he's going to bring them. He's not going to leave them out. He said, I must bring them. I've got to bring them. That's a wonderful must to me. Yes, from all the nations and all the colors and all stratas of society, Jesus said, I'm going to bring them. I'll bring them myself. Oh, listen, dear friends. There's another must, though, and with this, I, it'll be nearly time to close. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. Yes, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Is salvation that important with you? We must be saved. We must be saved. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
Jesus said into the hours of the morning, maybe said, you must be born again. You can't leave without being born again. You must be born again. He said, we must be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. There's what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hebrews eleven six. He that cometh to God must believe. You know, I've reached the conclusion there's no way to go to heaven except must. I mean, I've got to have a must salvation and I've got to have a must ministry. But until you have the must salvation, you'll never have a must ministry. Never will to save your life. He said, uh, you must believe that he is. Now then, Hebrews 13, 17, this is a sobering verse. We must give an account must give an account. I'm going to have to give an account to God. You know, we got some things being preached today that's upsetting a lot of people. Some po po folks have been coming home from church uh, about uh, the matter of uh, the judgment. Dear friends, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe when we put our sins under the blood of Christ, that solves all that problem. To me, heaven's going to be a place, and I don't believe in the shock treatment down here, but I'm going to have such a shock treatment when I get up there that he'll brought out all that part that ought not to be remembered. Heaven's going to be a place where God and his children are going to be happy. And uh, I, there may be a few tears uh, uh, right when we get there, but I believe those tears of joy. The Bible says he's going to wipe away all tears. I believe that when we get home to heaven, I believe we'll not be weeping and crying anymore. A lot of tears down here, and a lot of tears ought to be shed down here. We ought to have more around the church house and more in the hearts and lives of God's children. But there's one of the must I want to give you. We're going to give an account, and I like this, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This closes the message. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. Old Satan's having him a heyday down here and a high day. Never have I known such sin and such violence as I'm seeing today. But in the 25th verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he must reign till, that's good, he must reign, T-I-L-L, till he put all enemies under his feet. That's how long Jesus is going to reign. They went to liquor traffic. They went homosexuality. They went thieving and stealing and filth and sin. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. One of these days, those feet that were pierced 2,000 years ago will be standing on top of every enemy he ever had, including the devil. Old Satan is not here for long. Even though he may seem to have the upper hand in many lives, it's still unnecessary. I close by asking this question. Do you have victory in your life tonight? Do you have real spiritual victory in your life tonight? Do you know what it is to say, I must needs go through Samaria? I know that I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. And I'm going to do as he tells me to do. Are you able to say, I know? that I'm in his will right now, walking down the middle of the trail, nothing to be afraid of, 
have no doubts of my salvation. Dear friends, it's wonderful to be secure in him tonight and to have the peace of God that passes understanding. Do you know him right now? Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff.